episode 137 of Nothing to Say, the Fans Podcast. Today's episode will revolve around two topics. First one being the NBA Finals between the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. And then lastly, we will talk about the news that just broke from the LIV Golf League, the new golf league that is going to be, I guess, competing with the PGA and the name that just joined the LIV Golf League, and that would be Dustin Johnson. So we'll start with the NBA and then we'll move on to golf. All right. You ready? Yeah. You ready for this? All right. I'm super excited. Honestly, I have so many thoughts um, spiraling around my head about these, uh, about these two games. So as of the recording of this episode, game one and game two have been played. This episode will be released Wednesday morning, which will be the morning of game three. So let's start with Game one, that first game one, Celtics win 120 to 108 over Golden State. They steal home court game one, even though that game looked like it was getting a little bit out of hand. The Warriors had their typical third quarter burst, and then all of a sudden Boston said, all right, we're going to score 40 points, and you're only going to score 16, and we're going to steal the game. Jalen Brown took over that game, and I understand that Jason Tatum at least in terms of points, maybe wasn't his most productive night, but he did have 13 assists, five rebounds, was setting up his teammates very well. Al Horford decided he was Steve Kerr and hit a ridiculous amount of threes, had 26 points. Derek White, that game, anytime he was left open, he did not miss at all. Marcus Smart had a really good game. Robert Williams played well. Um, they, the Celtics got a full contribution from their entire team that game. That was that fourth quarter was really, really impressive from them. They definitely deserved to win that game. Yeah, and I think the most impressive thing is on the defensive side, holding Golden State to 16 points in that fourth quarter and allowing their offense to really uh, catch up and then expand that lead to put it out of doubt. That game one happened for a long time ago for us, um, but that was, I think, a big statement when – for Boston because they were coming in as the underdog in this series and really just laid it all out there, laid the blueprint out there on how they were going to potentially win this series. Yeah. And we don't have to spend a ton of time on game one, because as you said, it was a while ago, but um, at the, at the end of game one, my initial thought was (laughs) heading into game two, Al Horford is not going to score more than 15 points. That was, that was the over under that I set it on. And then um, boy, did I overshoot the mark for that because they made sure that Al Horford didn't do anything in game two. He had eight rebounds. So that's a good number, but he only had two points. I don't even think he took a three. Um, I believe the defensive adjustment that they made was they put clay on Al Horford and then they moved Draymond to Jalen Brown. And that had an immediate impact right at the beginning of the game. It was a jump ball literally on the first play. Um, Draymond set the tone right away. And then in terms of the adjustments that Golden State made, they pretty much saw that in game one that they were really successful in high pick and rolls, and they just stuck with it the whole game. It was pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll the entire game. And they were like, if you're not going to play up, then we're just going to keep bombing threes on you. And Steph, again, had a phenomenal game. He had 29 points four assists and six rebounds and golden state again had their massive third quarter 35 points to boston's 14 and after that it was 
that was all she wrote after the third quarter. Yeah, I think Steph's playing, at least from the last two games, playing the best ball back-to-back games uh, for playoffs that we've seen in a while. Um, And it's really good to see him play this well in the finals where he is putting the onus on himself to really carry this Golden State team. And I think it, like Steve Kerr said, after the Western Conference Finals, we go and we stop and go as he does. You know, we follow Steph. Um, I I think this is a huge game. This is a huge series for the coaching staffs of each. I mean, you have one where Steve Kerr has won multiple championships, been to multiple finals. This is just a walk in the park for him. And he has a very experienced group. And then you have Boston, who this is the first time for everyone. And you really saw the adjustments being made, especially on the defensive end. I liked, um, it seemed like Wiggins was taking Brown a lot or taking Tatum. And you had just Draymond and Wiggins taking those two the whole time and let everyone else work. And they're really... Like you said, Tatum was able to set up teammates uh, for open threes. In this game, maybe he tried to do that, but the Warriors were a little more active in the passing lanes and really stripping the ball, trying to get hands on everything. For one thing, the refs really let them play in game two, I think more so than game one. And there was a couple times where uh, the broadcast noted, wow, the like they're letting a lot of hand stuff go in this game. And I think that really benefited. You would think that benefited Boston, but it really benefited the Warriors and getting in there and stripping the ball and just making it uncomfortable for a lot of talented Boston players. Uh, That's I, I'm very curious to see how Boston responds to Golden State turning up that level of defensive play. Yeah. And so in terms of, in terms of the Warriors' defense, obviously they made those adjustments with the Clay and Draymond switch. But I also think a big, a big, big thing for the Warriors is going to be keeping Andrew Wiggins on Jason Tatum. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the deep threes that Tatum had were on smaller defenders, and he has not done well against Wiggins um, in this series. And I, I, I keep saying it every time I watch him play, he looks like a DB out there just in the sense that obviously basketball players usually are like taller, but in terms of like the build, he just looks like a big, big, like physical defensive back when he's playing defense and just the athleticism um, that he plays with is I, I, I could see why that would give Tatum fits and why it has given him fits because Wiggins is just such a physical freak of nature. Um, he might be the best athlete on the floor, period. Um, is obviously not the best player, but he's probably the best athlete overall. Um, and I've enjoyed really watching him uh, dig in on defense against Tatum. So to the point that you had said about letting these guys play, there was that instance with Draymond in game two where he fouls Jalen Brown. They both fall down. Mm-hmm. Draymond at this point already has a tech. And then... He, he falls and his legs sort of fall on Jalen Brown, but he moves that right leg just a little bit just to make sure it kind of rests on Jalen Brown's head, just to kind of get in his head a little bit. And there was debate over whether or not he should have gotten a second technical for that, um, especially because after that, when he got up, I think he tried to like yank Jalen's pants down, <laughs> um, which just seemed totally uncalled for, uh, not for a technical, but just excessive. 
Um, to me, I don't think that warrants a technical. Um, yeah, I think that that's just one of those things as a referee that you can you can look at and go, that's just them going at each other. It's not anything that nobody got hurt. I think that's another basis for me for judging technicals. Like, it, was anybody in serious danger of getting hurt? Did anybody get hurt? Um, and that just felt like more of a petty thing. And I don't think I don't think that at all deserved a technical. Yeah, I think the the refs should be a little more lenient on that because emotion is going to be running high in this series with all the things that are on the line going in. And, you know, Draymond is uber, uber emotional and you've got to do your job as trying to sort of neutralize that and really make sure that that doesn't escalate. And I think that's your job first and foremost, if you throw out the tech for, I think, a little thing like that. Like that's just gamesmanship at that point. And then they talk a little bit after and it's like, okay, we need to stop this. I'm not just going to tech them for nothing, pretty much nothing happening. Right. They just jaw a little bit and then, okay. Well, and I like the point that they made on the broadcast too. I think it was, I think it was Mark Jackson that brought it up to Van Gundy. I think he brought it up to Van Gundy and he was asking him about if you're the referee then do you take into account the fact that when that happens, Draymond already has a technical? Because if you give him a second technical, then obviously he's going to get ejected. So I liked their response to that, which was saying, yes, you have to take that into account because one, it's not just a technical, it's an ejection. So you kind of have to look at it as, is this worth an ejection? Regardless of, I mean, because the technical is going to be there anyway. So if it was, if he didn't have a technical, then I think it cha- might change the play. But because he has one, that definitely influences whether or not I think referees are going to throw out um, that technical. I hadn't thought of that, but I'm glad they brought it up because once I heard it, I, I totally agree. Because when you look at it from that perspective, that definitely wouldn't deserve an ejection. Yeah, but at the same time, is that fair from a Boston point of view? Like if that play happened and Draymond didn't have a tech already and you're and you can say like oh he probably would have gotten a tech for that if he had nothing like nothing no ejection was on the line or anything um I'd feel pretty salt like I'd be I'd be crushed about that because that would have changed the game because Draymond's fingerprints was on this game completely um it could be, but I mean, it, it would work both ways. It would just be the fact that the Warriors would benefit from it first in that sense. Yeah, I, I, I like the call to not do that. Um, and if I'm Boston, I'd want that to be consistent because you're going to have players like Marcus Smart or maybe Tatum picks up a couple technicals because of how physical the series is. Like, you want that leniency a little bit from the referees so they don't decide the game. Yeah. Um, well, I definitely agree with you in the sense that they let them play. And for me, I, I enjoyed, I enjoy watching that type of basketball. I enjoy watching more physical basketball. So I do hope that that continues. Um, so I guess, I guess we'll just see, I mean, Boston's (laughs) Boston plays that way regardless. (laughs) So, um, but you know what? So does, so does Golden State. I mean, Boston, they were the number one defensive team in the league in terms of efficiency, and Golden State was number two, and you don't get that way by playing lackadaisical defense. So they're both physical um, defenses in that sense. I mean, 
Andrew Wiggins and um, Draymond Green alone are enough to to do that. Um, all right, so two two quick takes that I had, and I want to get your opinion on this. Okay. Um, I know what one of your opinion on it is going to be, so I'll save it for the last one. Um, but the first one that I had was, so everybody, um, everybody, if you watch game one and game two, realized obviously that Jason Tatum had a much better shooting performance in game two. He had 28 points. I think he was like, I think he had five or six threes, uh, was really efficient in the first half, but he didn't make a bucket in the second half. I mean, no, he made one, sorry. He made one bucket in the second half. In game one, he was really struggling. He was really struggling finding a shot. He only had 12 points, but he had 13 assists. And he was setting up his teammates so much better. I think his plus minus in game two was like, it was in the negative 20s or negative 30s. He was really hurting his team based on that stat when he was out there. So my thought coming out of game one game two is that I don't think Jason, is as important as he is to this series, and I think he's the most important player for Boston, I don't think his importance is going to come from scoring alone. Like, if you go back to the Milwaukee series, he had to put up a historic, like, almost 50-point game. He has he has had to put up a couple really big games in terms of scoring. I don't think that this series is going to call for him to do that. I think based on how good golden state is on defense i think he's gonna really need to kind of morph into a scorer which he was in that first half and do what he did in game one which obviously feels like a does statement like oh he needs to score and set up his teammates yeah well yes but jason tatum first and foremost is a scorer um people were praising him in game one for having that many assists but that's because he doesn't do that every single game he normally puts up a lot of points every game so to me instead of having like a 33 5 and 5 game i think he's gonna need like a 26 8 9 type of game in terms of having not only those points but really looking to set up his teammates because it it really worked in uh in game one and i think it i think it showed that boston doesn't need him to score a bazillion points for them to win now you might not get 26 out of al horford every night but i still think the point stands yeah i i mean i kind of disagree i think these finals are so predicated on um superstars just willing a bucket to go in against great defense and more so than Brown, more so than Smart, more so than any player on Boston's roster, I think Tatum is that offensive talent. That whatever defense you get, you could, we can sit here and say Wiggins is a good defensive matchup for him. But if Tatum plays his game and makes that shot, there's nothing Wiggins can really do about it. And I think that is such a almost like nuclear answer for Golden State that really is what Boston's been missing. Uh, in spurts through the Miami series and a couple of these two games in this series. I think that's really what Boston's missing because if they add Tatum, who was playing superstar level against Brooklyn and Milwaukee, I think they're a little bit unbeatable. They they can be. Yes. And I'm not, I'm not saying that like they couldn't win if he did that, but if I'm just pulling, if I'm just pulling, um, off of what I have seen from game one and game two. Do I think that Boston would win if Tatum was putting up those numbers? Yeah, of course. 
But do I think it's necessary? No, I don't. And I guess I think that's more the point that I'm trying to make because I really think that he can have a greater impact than just scoring um, as evidenced by game one. But um, that's that's a one-off game, really, because he's not – But it doesn't have that. to be. I guess that's more what I'm saying. But you're so uh, reliant – like you said, you're reliant on Al Horford going six for eight from three and Derek White putting up – I like Al points Horford, and Marcus Smart making a high percentage of his threes and Pritchard made a high percentage of his threes and uh, Grant Williams. Yeah, everything clicked for them. Brown, like all those guys were making shots and then Tatum accumulated enough assists at that point. I think, I don't think that's a thing that you can really bank on. And he's not, he hasn't shown an ability to necessarily create those looks. Those looks will come because as he his level of play rises, Golden State is going to have to put a lot more attention on him, which will open up looks for other guys. So those looks will come, but he's not creating those opportunities just purely from his play. Well, okay, so I, I'm glad you brought that up because in you may not be – in game one, he won't. Because his team, like, there is something to be said about, yes, you may not be able to get Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Peyton Pritchard, and Derek White all doing, all making, like, every shot that they threw up. That's probably not realistic. But a lot of the, a lot of the shots that they took were, like, wide-open shots, and that was because of what Tatum was doing in creating those open shots as and I can only speak from a point guard's perspective because that's the only position that I ever played. There is something to be said about even if you don't get the direct assist about creating an opening for somebody else just by driving or just by, um, yeah, just by sucking the defense in. And even if that, even if that first pass doesn't lead to a wide open shot, that suction that you created from the defense may then lead to a second pass that's wide open. So. He was doing that in the first game. And I don't think that that is something that he can't do that often. He may not because that's not what's required of him, um, but it's in his game. And I really think he can't do it. Now, the caveat to that is going to be whether or not his teammates are going to be able to make those shots. And I don't know if Al Horford's going to be able to get that many open threes again. I don't think Golden State's going to make that mistake um, again. So, I mean, I, I think both points can be true. I, I, I think that um, it, it, in a perfect world, I think your scenario would be what they would want. I really think that I think yeah. that Boston would want him to be scoring 40, 50 a game. But it, if the reason why I'm bringing this up is because if Golden State is going to continue to play him that aggressively, then what I guess what I'm saying is I think they can win with my version of Jason Tatum. But in, that, but in a perfect world, I think they would want your version of it. Well, they're going to make adjustments going into game three, and there's a, it's a, there's a reason they're in these, this position in the finals. They're going to make those adjustments to get him open. I mean, it's not like Golden State's doubling him at a high frequency. It seems like they're putting him on an island against Wiggins, against Draymond, against Gary Payton a lot in situations where they can screen him off ball hopefully get him open with a little bit of movement and get him in those spots. It seemed like they were trying to work Tatum into the mid range, especially against a smaller defender like Gary Payton. And th I think that that's works. That's a reliable 
recipe for Boston to really put up points at a consistent rate. Yeah. Yeah. And then hopefully uh, Brown comes along the way. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're, they're going to need both of them. <laughs> they're going to, and speaking of needing both of them, the Warriors are going to need Clay. Clay has not really put his stamp on this series um, yet. And he, he, if, if Golden State is going to win this series, they're going to need him. So far, they've been able to get away with um, contra- big contributions from everybody else. But like Nemanja Bielica, who had six points the other night, I had to I had to work it in there because he's playing a big just, role. He's play he's in the rotation. He's in the rotation. Played eleven minutes and six points, five rebounds. I was like, when is he going to take a three? He never did. So I was like, okay, well, <laughs> he's getting wide open layups. It doesn't matter. That's not what I saw in Sacramento, um, but. Um, yeah, so, you know, Boston's going to need both of their stars and Golden State is going to need both of theirs, which is an obvious statement to say, but I say it because Clay hasn't really put his stamp on this series yet. So um, you'd like to think, especially for him, somebody who's been out for that long, like he deserves to have uh, some really good games in the finals. Um, so, I mean, with Clay being one of the greatest shooters of all time, I don't think that anybody's concerned about it. Um, but if it continues into Boston, then I think maybe it might be concerned. But as of right now, after two games, I've, it's probably just a little bit of a slump that he'll shoot his way out of it. Yeah. So, all right. So the last point that I have about this series is really about Curry. And we've already talked about this a little bit. And Sam and I are completely disagree on this point. So um, it'll be interesting to see what, what other people's thoughts are on this. Um, I posted something earlier today on our social media account um, at uh, NTS podcast. Um, and I asked people this question that I had the other night during, I think it was game one. Um, and I think at least in my personal opinion, my thoughts only got further validated by game two. Um, and it was the idea that in terms of our generation, Sam and I, I think people will look back at this era and, you can definitively say that LeBron James was the best player of this era. Um, and you could argue that Kevin two decades. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No argument there. You won't get, uh, you won't get one out of me. Um, so, I mean, he's top five, top three, top two player of all time, but maybe the best, you never, it, it depends on who you talk to. So I don't think, I don't think that's a debate. Curry, when it's all said and done, especially if he ends up winning, um, this NBA championship and he gets a finals MVP is going to have a very interesting resume in terms of how he stacks up against other people uh, who have (laughs) come before him and who are going to come after him. He, you can make an argument that he'd be a top three point guard ever based on, or maybe top two um, based on just pure resume. Um, And you can get into the nitty gritty on um, he's an interesting player to talk about because he affects the game in so many other ways than a traditional point guard. So that's not the debate we're going to get into. The one that I said to Sam was that I'm not going to argue that LeBron James, I mean, that Steph Curry is a better player than LeBron James because he's not. LeBron James is better. But for me personally, Curry has done more things that I didn't think were possible in an NBA basketball game, whether it be the amount of threes he hits per second, um, the difficulty of the shots that he makes. There, he has done more things that I feel like I will tell stories about than 
I will with LeBron. So in simpler terms, Curry has done more things that I find more memorable than LeBron. That's not to say that LeBron is, um, I mean, that's not to say that Steph is better. He's not. But I just find the stuff that I find myself with my jaw on the floor more watching Curry than I do with LeBron. And I know you disagree with me, and that's fine. Um, But for me, I just, I, I cannot believe some of the things that he does. I feel like he's the only person who can do the things that he does. Yeah, I think that's a different, and I don't think you can argue that any single person that has played the game of basketball played it like LeBron James, though. Both these guys are individuals, and that's why they're both probably eventually going to be top 10 players to ever play this game. But uh, to think, and maybe because it's the stage, but LeBron being in all of those finals, playing well every single time, apart from that Dallas series, just builds up so many memories in my mind of him playing absolutely phenomenal against the best defenses of those years and putting up ridiculous, like I've never seen Steph carry a team like LeBron did in 2017 with that awful Cleveland Cavaliers team, right? Where he's just going buzzer beater after buzzer beater against the Toronto's and the Boston's of the world. And he's just going at averaging like 40 points through the playoffs. It was insane. Steph's never reached that level in the playoffs for me that I've seen. Right. And I think, yeah, there's moments of plays where he shoots it like the OKC three when Kevin was still on OKC. Way downtown Bay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's easily the standout. Right. But is that crazier than the block out of nowhere or LeBron going for 53 against Golden State in the in game one or uh, even LeBron hitting that mid-range shot on Kawhi to beat the Spurs in 2013. Like there is so many moments and times where LeBron has risen to the occasion and against pretty much all odds and expectations come through and really actually willed his team to win a championship. Like going in a, in a series against Steph in 2016, those last three games and those performances in those last three games were unbelievable what he was doing. Yeah. Right. And even the series before when they went up two one, he was playing probably the best basketball he's ever played in those first three games. And it was like, no Kyrie, no Kevin Love, no problem for this Cleveland Cavaliers team. He's making Matthew Delvadova look good and Jared Smith look good. Right. Like there, I don't think Steph's ever reached that point. And I think it's it's completely crazy to like I'm not gonna think about that Steph three. I can't even picture it in my mind right now. Like that just doesn't resonate with me. Yeah, he shoots it from a ridiculously long like distance. But are there ever where are the moments, right? Those we're talking about regular season games at this point where you're like, wow, that was a long shot. But LeBron is doing this in the finals throughout his whole career. So I think I think you and I are looking at it from two different lenses because I think the lens that you're looking at it through is also taking into account the accomplishments 
of LeBron, like getting to those finals and having those performances in the finals, um, which is a fine way to look at it. I'm not here to tell you whether or not you're right or wrong for doing that. I guess I'm just saying that I'm not necessarily taking into account where it's happening per se. Um, and the only other way that I can phrase it really is like, let's take LeBron's chase down block, for instance. If you give Giannis that runway, he can make that play. He didn't, but Giannis is big enough, long enough, strong enough, fast enough to make that play. I don't want to diminish that play in any way, shape, or form because it was one of the best basketball plays I've ever seen. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that the unbelievable part about LeBron is that he's able to do all of these things. But the things that he does, I don't think that other players couldn't do um, or haven't done before. But it's that, but it's what makes him great is that normally, like the people who can make the shots that he makes can't normally rebound like him in conjunction and pass it like him and play defense and do all of these and, 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 and. Normally it's one. And what makes LeBron great is that he can do everything. That is what separates him. But if we break it down individually, there are people who can make the plays that he does, but not all of them together. So with so Steph, I, I counter that with Damian Lillard may be a better distance three-point shooter than Stephen Curry. But but okay, so but it's not just about the distance per se. And what I'm saying is that I think, at least in my mind. Steph, like some of the plays that Steph makes, I think are solely his thing. Like you, what are the plays? Like what are the plays that come to mind? Just, I mean, he's got so many where he just puts up threes. Where I mean, I think the reason why I can't necessarily there was one in the uh, in the finals game just the other night where he had a uh, a screen set for him up in like the. sort of on the uh, the right side of the court. It was near uh, way past the arc. Um, it was a quick pick and roll. And he, I mean, he's like fading out of bounds and he's got a defender in his face and he puts it up and there was never a doubt that that was going in. And I'm sitting here and I'm watch, I've watched him do stuff like that over the past 10 years. And I go, there are plays that he makes every single season that I go, I feel like that's just singular to him. Like, I don't feel like anybody else could do that. Maybe somebody could get lucky making it. And I'm not saying Dame couldn't make that play, but in terms of the consistency in which he makes those plays, I think is singularly unique to him. Um, He's not even unique to another player on his own team. Clay Thompson makes ridiculous threes, catches he threes make all like the time. He, what does that even mean? There are... there. There's a difference in in the style in which that they create those shots for themselves. Clay shots don't necessarily come off of all of those pick and roll maneuvers. And Clay is more of a catch and shoot kind of guy, so he's normally getting set up for those shots. That doesn't diminish the difficulty of those shots, but there's something to be said about having the ability to create those shots off the dribble, um, like Steph does. Um, and again, we're arguing the greatness of two of the greatest players of all time. I think um, you're just blatantly wrong. I can't think of a play. Like, I thought – I know that that OKC3 is big, but I can't even picture what that play looks like. Like, I think a part of that's okay. game but – that, But that proves my point. That proves my point. It's not going to be necessarily memorable 
for you in that sense, you find LeBron more memorable. No, you didn't. This is this is improve your point at all. I'm talking about LeBron. It's not not talking about memory. The point is that, and this probably hurts your argument a little bit because we see those shots every single game that Steph has. The quick turnaround. The he's already running up the court before the ball is even in the hoop. We've those are every game that can't be memorable. Those individual plays can't be memorable. We can't allow that to diminish how amazing those shots are. It's like the same thing with Tom Brady. You can't diminish. You can't like say, oh, he's been there all the time, so it's not as as memorable. It's the same sort of argument that people make um, for Brady in the sense that, oh, he's there all the time. Oh, he had another 40 touchdown season. Great. And, oh, they're in the Super Bowl again. Great. It's the same sort of thing. So I get the maybe the the fatigue of like, well, he does it all the time. So how can it be unique? Well, it's like, no, it is unique. It's unique because he does it all the time. Um, but that doesn't make individual moments memorable. Like he needs to do it on a stage. He has done it on stage. He's not one of Files MVP. What does that mean? That He doesn't need one to validate his crime side. <laughs> That's a whole separate argument. <laughs> I don't, and I that means totally... he literally hasn't done it. Oh my God! No, that's not. No. Can you think of a play? Do you know? Do you know the most memorable play of Steph Curry in the finals for me is okay. when he tried to throw up behind the back to Clay Thompson and went out of bounds in the first <laughs> row, and then they ended up losing that game and losing the finals. That's the most memorable play for Steph Curry. Oh man, I really like if, this argument. I, if that's I, your I, argument, then, then, yeah, I agree. Steph so is super I, memorable. So we did have somebody weigh in on this. Um, so, uh, Eric, uh, that handle is Eric and Cooley again, same guy who commented on our last post. So Eric, if you're listening, we really do appreciate you commenting. Um, it's always, I mean, again, social media, this platform for us on Instagram is relatively new. So to have interaction this early, we really do appreciate it. I asked this question to our followers and Eric pretty much made an argument for both of them. He laid out a lot of their, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it is a, I'll, I'll put it up here. It is a fairly long comment, um, but it pretty much lays out all of the accomplishments of, of Steph Curry and LeBron. And he's just, he's making the argument. The very last sentence is LeBron James and Wardell Stephen Curry are great in their own rights. And he's right. Um, he 100% is right. And they're great for different reasons. Um, you know, he lays out, he, he lays, he lays <laughs> out the three, the three point record, um, the 73 and nine, um, record for Steph and the Warriors and then um you know James and everything he's done also outside of the game um he quotes he talks about some of the stuff that he's done outside of the game um whether that be the LeBron James Family Foundation um or the I Promise School so that also has to be taken into account I think also with who maybe um is more memorable yeah it's a different way of looking it's a different, it's a different way of looking at it. Uh, I hadn't considered, so Eric brings up a, a good point in that sense, because I, I had not thought of, you know, stuff outside of basketball, why people could uh, find him memorable. And you're right. The decision, that was a huge thing. Um, so again, Eric, thank you for commenting. Uh, we really yeah, do appreciate you. it um, because that uh, you, you brought up a good point that I, I, I definitely didn't consider. And um, we got to give Eric an A because he obviously hit that a thousand word uh, minimum for the post yes i i appreciate the in-depth <laughs> that uh, how in-depth that was i think 
I think, and I'm going to give him even more credit. I think he literally cited the sources. <laughs> oh my god! It says right here, Sporting News Holding Limited, 2022. And Eric, if we're if you're listening, I promise I I say that in, in genuine love. I really do appreciate the effort to wish you with uh, to put that comment. I I don't even put that much effort into some school assignments that I do. Yeah, the discussion so, post um, during COVID for like asynchronous courses. Respond to one of your classmates. <laughs> you did great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In in 500 words. Wow, I just loved how well you wrote this part and this part. Oh gosh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like you're you so right. I hadn't considered that. And um yeah, interesting points. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even put the wonderful day. Yeah. So no way they're reading it. No way. No way. All right, so that'll wrap up our NBA talk. Um again, game three is gonna be happening the so on wednesday uh, and that'll be the day of this release we'll release this i didn't even talk about lebron's dunks like lebron's we're past the nba you lost (laughs) lost i'm I'm already i'm already on liv goal (laughs) like there is no way steph curry is more memorable okay i i didn't say that he was more memorable. I said the moments that he's had to me, That's I will never forget. Even clearer in favor of LeBron. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Well, and speaking of in favor, Dustin Johnson is in favor of joining the LIV Golf League. So yeah, honestly, and for $125,000 to join the league, Sorry, I totally undersold him. Damn, you a couple, a couple, zero, <laughs> couple zeros with that. Here 125, 125 million. Um, hey, Dustin, we're taking ninety percent on this <laughs> off top for you. I was, I was, I was stating his agent's cut of that. <laughs> oh, it's um, more than that. Oh, it's gonna be wait. No, it's gonna be All right, so um, Sam, give us a quick breakdown of what the LIV golf tournament is for those of you who do not know, because I know for me, I'm still learning about it as we go. Yes, the LIV Golf League is a breakaway league. uh, Apart from the PGA Tour, apart from the European Tour, apart from the World Tour, um, it's a Saudi-backed golf league with the aim to bring in the best players into smaller fields with more creative tournaments, going to less tournaments um, and really uh, trying to create like these big events with like big names, big prize money, uh, pretty like luxurious courses around the world. And I think that's sort of the aim with the LIV. So I have a, an article right here from the Washington Post is titled everything you need to know about the LIV golf invitational series. And it has five big main differences. So I'll read those real quick. It says the LIV golf tournaments will be three rounds as opposed to four on the PGA tour and will feature only 48 PGA. Um, uh, you're throwing me off. <laughs> we'll only have three rounds as opposed to four rounds, uh, four rounds in the PGA tour and will feature only 48 players. Um, the PGA tour, the PGA tour events regularly consist of well over a hundred golfers. Um, so they're only going to have 48 in the LIV and only three rounds. So the LIV tournaments will not have cuts, meaning every golfer plays all three rounds and everybody gets paid. 
So at most PGA Tour events, only top 65, only the top 65 and ties advance to play the final two rounds. Those who miss the cut do not receive uh, prize money. That sucks. Um, the LIV tournament. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough. Um, the not only did you have a bad round, you don't get paid. Hey, congrats on making your first PGA Tour event. You sucked. You don't get even get paid. You actually you, get paid. you actually spent more to get into this tournament and for housing and for everything else. You, you actually have, lost money. You can have somebody walk up and be like, "You see that vendor over there? Yeah, he made more than you." <laughs> he actually uh, got paid. Yeah, he actually got paid. What What's the difference between you and him? <laughs> he has money. You just went on right. a really expensive golf trip. Yeah, really. At the end of the um, so LIV tournaments will consist of both individual com- competitions along with a team event in which eight teams of four golfers, as drafted before each tournament by appointed captains, compete for an additional prize. Um, LIV tournaments will use shotgun starts in which group tees in which group tees off simultaneously from 18 holes instead of only two groups at a time team from holes number one and number 10, which is standard practice in the PGA Tour. This is intended to speed up play and make rounds shorter. And the last one is the LIV golf season consists of eight tournaments as opposed to 46 on the PGA Tour, plus the four majors, which are not run by the PGA Tour. So those are your main differences from the LIV and the PGA Tour. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking straight at the first one that I read and saying, um, Ben, you kind of nailed it. Uh, I don't know if he um, knew that this was a rule. Um, So, Ben, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say you did it. (laughs) The Ben benefit of the doubt and say that you did it because I want you to sound really smart. Um, so Ben made the argument on our show the other day that the PGA needed to shrink its field and the LIV totally did that to 48 players. Um, I I thought Sam posted that. I don't know. I'm pretty sure (laughs) that Sam guy posted. Was it you or was it Ben? who? Ben's not nearly that smart to post that. (laughs) (laughs) Ben brought up the whole soccer thing. He brought up a lot Um, of things. Yeah, but I think I thought the soccer thing was in conjunction with the, whatever. It doesn't matter who. who I'm just it. I'm just busting your balls at this point. Well, whatever. Anyway, what do you think of the 48 players thing? I like it. I wish we got some bigger names, and I understand that that wasn't really available. Um, we got a lot of old names, a lot of dudes that are uh, selling it out for some cash, which totally understand that um for 125 million i it'd be hard to <laughs> say no to yeah and if dj's getting 125 million which you guy i think is the most he probably got paid more than phil so phil's kind of a spokesperson for the league so he might have gotten paid a little more um to be so out there with it um but if those guys are getting paid that if you get paid 25 million and you're guaranteed and that's only joining, you're still guaranteed to make money every tournament too. And that's the big thing. Like you're, I think the winner is like 5 million in this London one. Um, but even if you get last, you get a hundred K. Yeah. Like you are setting yourself up for your family up for success. And that's, that's a huge thing yeah. really at the end of the day. Um, I wish, like I was saying, I wish, the fields were a little stronger with the best players. Um, and that's why I still think PGA tour has the edge, but at the end of the day, I think this is awesome 
for like pushing the game of golf forward the professional game of golf because competition and if there's aspects of this liv tour that fans and players and consumers of the game really gravitate towards then hopefully the pga tour and bigger tours and majors eventually will adopt those and we really get stored sort of mold this and uh reform this product of professional golf into something that's a little more better <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. i'm a big fan of the 48 thing and i it's it's just it's it's like it's scarcity you know um and that's what makes and that's what makes sports fun is when there is a scarcity that's why playoffs are fun that's why the nfl um, does so well because they only have 16 well eight 17 games now sorry um so but it's like a scarcity yeah but it's like almost a rarity because it impacts yeah. the value of what's going out there right so because there's not all these players the players that are there are beefed up a little more the the team competitions i'm going to be really interested mm-hmm. to see how that works because i if they're only playing three rounds does that mean that like the fourth day is dedicated to team play no um, i think it's only i think it's only three rounds and then they just like the whole time you have your individual score and then you're playing for your team at the same time. Oh, oh that's what I, I think see. it is. Oh, okay. That would make more sense. We don't really know until um, the tournament this weekend, really what it's going to look like. Yeah. And it's really cool. I was, I was looking on the website. Um, they draft mm-hmm. the different teams the week of. So that's, I think a really interesting aspect that they could, sort of um market in a way i mean are guys going to be wearing um what are some of the teams aces yeah i'm looking at the names and logos right here stinger gc iron heads are they gonna have have jersey polos like that'd be kind of cool like logistics um punch crushers fireballs phil's team is hy flyers so high flyers um iron heads that's a cleeks <laughs> cleeks i think i don't know yeah yeah I think oh, that, that might well, be an interesting aspect maybe instead of looking at the blurry picture the one below it that actually has the names typed out is all good that would be better <laughs> um, okay so <laughs> dustin johnson's team is four aces um mm-hmm. phil's is the high flyer sergio garcia is fireballs um they gotta get creative with their names. These are kind of lacking. <laughs> what do you think the GC is? Do you think it's like golf club? Maybe. It's just yeah, it's interesting. Like are are the so DJ and Phil are, are captains, right? Are they going to always be captains of their respective teams? I don't know. You gotta talk to the commissioners of the league. That was that was the big controversy around this league was where the money was coming from. Um, and obviously that has to be taken into account um, when yeah, I don't know. obviously it's taken into account by people who have elected not to join the LIV. Um, so it's a thing. It's there. Um, whether or not you how much value you decide to put in it is obviously up to the individual. So, uh, but we're mainly just talking about the, the tournament itself. But A couple things. Um, 
One is the question of how does these players playing in this league impact their ability to go back to the PGA Tour? Um, right now, they're able to play in majors, but majors could decide, hey, we're not letting you play for us. Um, those That will be interesting coming up. Uh, secondly, I think with DJ's money coming out, there was then a report of Tiger was offered a billion with a B billion? to join the LIV. <laughs> really hard to say no to. <laughs> I mean, that dude, he's, I think he's probably a billionaire at this point. If he's not, then he's close. I mean, that's an insane amount of money. Which who knows? Uh, he's estimated at 800 million. Oh, well, I mean, 200 million short. <laughs> Uh, Charles play at that point. Who knows how long that would be for? Um, he's probably someone that his history is probably a little more cautious to his reputation at this point in his image. So yeah. I, I totally understand why he'd probably forgo that. But who knows? Maybe if this thing takes off this year and more players start to jump ship, he might be more inclined. He's really only playing the majors anyway. At also, if the golf ends up being great, people might not care. <laughs> about everything else? So this is what I was really going to talk about. So um, there's a lot of teams, right? And so the World Cup, this upcoming World Cup is going to be in Qatar, right? And that was sort of like a pretty controversial thing, like they were getting the World Cup and different things like that you have that element that's sort of getting a little more um, uh, not understood, but like people are sort of uh, opening up to that, right? And uh, accepting it. That's what I was going to say. Accepting it. And you have in soccer, a bunch of these big teams are owned by sort of shady organizations or institutions that you don't really agree with how they've made their money but over time it seems like that's less and less of an issue almost for people and it's now just about the sport so I'm curious to see if that's what's going to happen with this LIV tour of where this year and last year when they first came out it was like there's no way people are going to join that because of all the things and then if, say, two years down the road, Rory's in there and Brooks is in there and all these big name players are all playing in this thing because it turns out to be so much better than the PGA Tour, no matter of where this money is coming from. Well, to me, it reminds it, uh, like the thing that I think of is with certain NFL players who have faced like significant criminal charges and then you end up seeing them in the league again. Um so I feel I feel like it's kind of the same in the sense that like yes the onset is people react really harshly to it but then eventually it doesn't go away but it doesn't seem to matter as much as the actual play on the field or in this case the yeah. course so which is probably pretty sad but 
yeah, it's it's not right. <laughs> but uh, like the fact that Deshaun Watson might still be in the league after you see that new thing that came out. Yeah, the sixty the, the numbers like the numbers up to like sixty six or something, um, which is just absurd. Um, yeah, so it is sad because the fact that you know players can do stuff like that and still be allowed in the league, he just got an absurd amount of money um, from the Browns. Deshaun, yeah. Yeah, so it's a shame, but that's <laughs> as beautiful and awesome as sports is. That's one of the downsides. That's one of the downsides. Talent seems to trump all when it comes to that. So, yeah. So, all right. Well, um, do you have anything more on LIV? Uh, yeah, I think um, I'm going to try. I know apparently tickets are super expensive for it. That's also a kind of a like negative for the tour so far is tickets are way more expensive than PGA tour events, but there's going to be one in Portland, which is only a couple hours away from me. So I'm going to try to see how expensive tickets are and maybe hopefully go, which would be honestly really cool to see DJ and Phil Mickelson in person. I'm trying to look up, trying to look at prices. This is if I can pull one up. Maybe. Yeah, do you see anything? Um, I see ground passes. So a three-day ground pass is 185. Saturday ground pass is 70, Friday 70, Thursday 70. So I'm not going to be there, guys. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just not going to be able to go. Oh man! I'd rather play well, a couple rounds of golf than go to know, that. There are um, there's a military discount, so here's what I'll I'll buy the ticket for you, <laughs> and then reimburse. There you go. We'll get we'll get a discount. All right, we covered the taxes for it. There we go. Oh, and you know what? First responder tickets. So better yet, I'll have my dad <laughs> purchase it, and that's twenty five percent off a single day pass. So there you go. Are you Aaron Russell? Yeah. <laughs> what do I look like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. <clears throat> well, that'll wrap up episode 137 for us. We hope you all have a wonderful week and a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the NBA Finals. I know we will by the time we are filming again. Game three will have happened. Game four will have happened. And depending on when we film, maybe game five will have happened. So is the series going to be over by then? Who knows? We'll find out. Are we uh, celebrating a Warriors win? Yeah, we'll see. Maybe a Boston win? Who knows? You never know. All right. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful weekend. And we will see you all at a later date. <laughs> <See ya>. <laughs> <laughs> to be determined. <laughs> yes. <laughs>